Welcome to Engaging Culture, a podcast presented by Bridgeway Christian Church. I'm Brian Kiley. Today, Pastor Lance Hahn and I are joined by Joy Justice and Jawad Khwari from World Relief Sacramento. The mission of World Relief is to empower the local church to serve the most vulnerable. And in our conversation today, we'll hear about how they're doing that in our region. Part of what they do is work with refugees who come to America from all over the world. We'll learn today about Sacramento's refugee community, why caring for refugees matters, and how Christians can care for refugees in our midst. All of that and more on this episode of Engaging Culture. All right. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Engaging Culture Podcast. I am Brian Kiley, back after a one-episode recess, I would like to add. Lance, I trusted you with the podcast all by yourself last time. And I did extraordinarily you well, really I would just like to job. point out. So. I actually brought my wife on that one so I'd feel better about myself. Good choice. She made me feel worse, but that's okay. <laughs> Only because uh, she did such a great job. She did. She did an excellent job. And it was weird that you weren't here with me. That was yeah, kind of bizarre. You know, I am your security blanket. You are many, my many security regards. blanket. So. Well, this is weird. We're going to move on. Uh, we are joined today by uh, Joy Justice. Joy, how's it going? Hey, good, good to be, to be with be, you all. Good to be with you. Um, we were just talking off air. You and I have bumped into each other at a number of different events, kind of with World Relief and Bridgeway. And you used to work in the coffee shop at Fuller Seminary when we were both That's students right. there. So there you go. All right. Joy, I have no history with you. I'm very <laughs> sorry. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> and then uh, we're with uh, Jawad Khwari, who you also work with World Relief as a cultural advisor. Glad to have you with us as well. Hi. How are you? Hey, yeah, we're good. Thank you. My pleasure. We're good. Yeah. So, uh, Joy, we'll start with you. Can you just briefly, for, for our listeners who maybe are not as familiar with World Relief, just talk a little bit about the work that you all do? Yeah. So, World Relief uh, came out of the um, last great refugee crisis. It started like a lot of nonprofits um, at the end of post-World War II. And it was kind of a grassroots movement of churches and people that were trying to respond to what was happening in the devastation, the rebuilding of Europe uh, post-World War II. And since that time in the 1940s, we've had two kind of primal things that are core to what we do. It's empowering churches and serving the most vulnerable. And so we work uh, globally. We're a global humanitarian relief and development organization. On the U.S. context, we see some of the most vulnerable in our community are uh, refugees, Mm -hmm. immigrants, and foreign-born survivors of human trafficking. So that's kind of our core focus. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our services are focused on those populations, but then we are passionate about and we are also committed to inviting churches into the work, equipping and empowering uh, churches to come alongside these populations. Awesome. Very wow, cool. that's intense. Yeah, it is okay, intense. so can I just dispel a myth? Uh, Please that, do. That, that Joy changed her last name to Justice just because <laughs> she's in this business. That is your... That is that is a myth going on out there. That is my name. That yes. is your real been, name. Now, how many People times do you have to answer the... Yes. How many times... <laughs> A week, do you have to answer questions about, is that your real name? Yeah, I'm that's pretty common. Pretty much all the But time, I love obviously. superheroes. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. I've never had one yeah. here. Um, Juwad, I'd love to kind of switch over to you here for a second. Tell us a little bit about how you ended up with World Relief here in Sacramento. Uh, uh, to be honest, uh, me and my wife, we immigrant from Afghanistan. So we are regional from Afghanistan. And we immigrant from Afghanistan in 2016. So the U.S. Embassy granted us a visa. And August 2016, we were uh, landed in the United States. And we were uh, staying at Hotel couple days. I, I think we were staying at Hotel two weeks. And the time was really uh, difficult for the office to find an empty apartment for us. And uh, we didn't know. So the one person going to knock at our door and they're gonna host us for two weeks in their home and he was Kerry Ham and he <laughs> and his family uh, opened their house for us to hosting us for two weeks until we the office could find a apartment for us and the first so whenever he, the Kerry share what they uh, deciding about to hosting us and my wife so because I was working with the US military back in Afghanistan I was I knowing about the Christian, I know about the U.S. people, but my wife, she was. It was the first time she was uh, kind of interacting and connected with the Christian people, and wow. she she kind of I I think she she rejected. I says no, Jawad, we are not gonna go there because 
we are Muslim and they are Christian. And how are we going to be there? And I'm real nervous. And I says, well, so you're right, but just trust on God. Let's do it. Maybe this is a, a God opportunity for us. We're going to go and taste it, the Christian lives. And whenever, so we cannot judge them because you never be with them. And she says, yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. <laughs> She's like, you're that. right. That's yeah. fair. <laughs> yeah, and we were there for two weeks. At the beginning, she was really, really nervous. And uh, in two weeks, so we become really, really good friends with the Kerry Ham family, especially with the Sherry Ham and with their daughters and every single of their uh, family. And at the end of two weeks, so I can tell you, so whenever they found another apartment for us, so they, the carry told me, hey, Jawad, we found a good apartment for you. You're ready to move in the next few days. And my wife, she says, no, we are fine here. We're going to oh, stay here. That's <laughs> sweet. She's comfortable yeah. now. Yes. Oh, and this funny. is the beginning. We just interacting with the World Life Office. And on those times, so the carry he told me, so, hey, Jawad, you're free. Why are you not coming to our office? Just working with us as a volunteer. I said, okay, yeah, that's right. And I was working with them and kind of after that, so they they were interested to my work and they said, oh, hey, Jawad, we can offer you as a contract working with us and just cooperating with us. And I said, yeah, that's great. And that's why how I ended up with the World Relief. And now I'm working with the World Relief as an Afghan cultural advisor. I love working with these people. Wow, wow, that's, that's so, cool. so good. So Carrie Ham, for those who don't know, just real quick, is the office director of World Relief yes. Sacramento. So if there's like ever a guy to go live in his house for a bit, that might be a good that's, one. That's a good place if you're going to get. Connected. I would like to point out that he also highlighted, you know what? Actually, Sherry Ham and the girls—they're really sweet. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so we're not only focused on Carrie here. Exactly. His exactly. wife and his whole family are great people. Yeah, that's an amazing, an amazing story. So when you came to the United States. There wasn't a sense of, oh, I'm going to go and work for World Relief. That just sort of happened when you got here. No, so I didn't know. So so the beginning, so it was so dark for me. I didn't know how I'm going to work, where I'm going to, I'm going to work. And so it was, and I had any idea. So I think God gave me a good chance and they're going to send me in World Relief. And um, now I, I, I'm thanks from God. So just wow. they, they give me a good things. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's, that's so, cool. so wonderful. We're so glad that you're here. Joy, I'm just going to assume that your story of ending up at World Relief is not as cool as Jawad's. <laughs> it is that's not for as cool. sure. <laughs> but I'll bet it's still pretty interesting. So I would love to hear a little bit, first of all, about uh, how, how you ended up at World Relief. And then second, maybe if you could tell our listeners a little bit about what you do. Yeah. Uh, so my story, how I ended up at World Relief, I was finishing graduate school at Fuller Seminary and uh, I was living actually with uh, other students from our school. And a lot of the uh, students I was living with had actually gotten fellowships to do international work uh, in international development. And I uh, wanted to kind of jump on that bandwagon. It sounded really mm -hmm. fun post-graduate uh, school to live internationally for a short time. And mm -hmm. so we ended up getting connected with World Relief. Uh, and they were working in Indonesia and it was they had gotten kind of a unique invitation by immigration in Indonesia to have English teachers, native English teachers come and teach English. And uh, it was going to be in an immigration detention center. Wow. And that detention center was holding asylum seekers and refugees, man, many of them from the Middle East and also from South Asia, the Rohingya people, um, Afghans wow. that were trying to seek asylum into Australia. Uh, and then en route to that, they were getting caught um, in Indonesia and placed in a detention center while the United Nations processed their cases. Wow. Uh, so I ended up going there with five of my closest friends, and we lived there for two years uh, and uh, were English and art teachers in this pretty intense, unique classroom context wow. um, of uh, refugees and immigrants. Holy cow! Yeah. So you were there, so you were there, and then now you're here. How'd yeah. So then, um, at the end of those two years, came back to the U.S. and found out that uh, Sacramento was resettling a lot of refugees, mm -hmm. and that there was a World Relief office locally. And so I was hired on as the church mobilizer initially mm -hmm. to help equip and kind of recruit and mobilize the local church in this region to build friendships with uh, new refugee arrivals. Awesome, love it. And you've been doing that for how long? I've been doing that. I've been working locally in Sacramento for uh, a little over four years. Okay. Um, but with World Relief for six years. Awesome. Now, one thing, this was a surprise to me when I first heard it a long time ago, but I, I think 
one thing that a lot of people don't realize is that Sacramento has a has a very significant refugee population per capita relative to the rest of the country. Yes, can, can you speak to that? That a little is bit? true. Our city welcomes the most amount of refugees in the entire nation. Wow, like gross total number mm-hmm. or per capita? Yeah. Just, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Like the largest that's, number. I that's mean, intense. I mean, that's, yeah. So it's pretty. Well, that pretty is one of the reasons as well why Sacramento has such a diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, we're inviting in a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's something really beautiful about that. Yeah. And by the way, that is a very good story. Good job, yeah. Joy. Still, Don't still, let him still, demean still your good. story compared to Jawad. <laughs> still a good story. Now, okay. Thanks. Now, I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to hear either, either of your perspectives on this. Now, uh, obviously, a lot of what World Relief does is influenced by or is affected by kind of the state of immigration policy and, and different things like that. Uh there's just been a lot going on in that world in the last 18 months, lots of policy changes, certainly lots of very heated sort of debates and arguments. Uh, what is it like? I mean, it's one thing for, for say, someone like me as an observer who reads the news and is sort of following along with these things, but it's not, it doesn't really affect my day-to-day that much. I have to imagine all of these changes and all of these debates and all of these conversations affect the work that you do mm-hmm. to a significant degree. I mean, what has it been like working in your environment over this last, you know, 18 months, two years? Yeah, it's been really challenging. Uh, our organization, like you were saying, we are, uh, we, we work alongside the federal government. So we're contracted out by the federal government to provide services for refugees um, and to provide legal services for immigrants. Uh, and in the huge changing in the refugee program, there's been a lot of budget cuts. Mm-hmm. And so our organization has gone through um, some different rounds of layoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've lost a lot of our staff over the mm-hmm. last uh, year or two uh, as a result of that, which has been really hard. And then I think just personally, you know, we uh, we get to work and serve on a day-to-day basis refugees and immigrants, and they're just incredible people. They're mm-hmm. incredibly resilient, uh, um, but they're they're struggling to uh, to in- integrate and to kind of get on their feet. Uh, and it's hard to know that we. Uh, we won't be able to serve as many people mm-hmm. um, as we have been able to do in the past. Yeah. And so I think we're kind of holding, and we know it's not, it's personal for us. We know sure. these people. Yeah. Um, and then I think with my work in Indonesia, I still know families that are locked up in this detention center in Indonesia Jeez. and they're just on the list. They're waiting. They're waiting to get their name to the top of the list that they can uh, be welcomed in by a country like the United States. Yeah. Uh, and so knowing that, those numbers are decreasing, that that weight is going to be extended. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, real quick, I just want to clarify a couple things uh, for our listeners. If you are brand new to this type of podcast, um, real quick, and I'll, and I'll ask Joy, mm-hmm. difference between immigration and refugee. Immigrant and refugee are actually two different things. Yeah. They, they're, they're related, but they're different. Yes, they are. Thanks for uh, bringing that up. So yeah, just some defining of terms. And refugee, the main distinction between a refugee and immigrant is a matter of choice. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so a refugee is someone who is forced to flee their home country. They've actually crossed a border into a neighboring country and there's no possibility for them to return to their home country. They don't get protection by their original state. um, And they have a credible, well-founded fear of persecution or threat of violence to their life. Yes. Uh, and so uh, they also, there's a lot of um, processes that they have to go through through the United Nations first uh, and then through the U.S. government. And it takes multiple years for them to get processed to make sure that um, they they do qualify for uh, refugee resettlement. And they, they have actually personally experienced threat of violence. Uh, and uh, and it's all a legal process that they go through. Um, and an immigrant, the main distinction is that an immigrant is someone who is choosing to immigrate to a new country, uh, maybe for opportunity of education or uh, job opportunities. Uh, and so I think that's kind of the simplest yes. way to distinguish it. Well, and I think that there are many, many, uh, probably high percentage that have struggled in original country. It, they can't prove you know, risk on their life, mm-hmm. but yeah. things are so difficult and so painful. Mm-hmm. That's the motivation for immigration, but they can't qualify as a refugee. Right. So, so a lot of times people go, well, immigration is just like, oh, well, I live in an awesome house. I would love a more awesome house. <laughs> and that's just simply not 
yeah. the case. Yeah. 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 And just to, uh, so there are currently about um, over 25 million refugees. So again, these are people that have fled across the border of their country into a neighboring country and they, they're under the United Nations mandate. Uh, there's 25 million of those. But in reality, in a given year, less than 1% of them resettle in a country like the United States. Um, and last year, it was about 70,000 total. The international community only resettled about 70,000 people. So it's kind of a unique, very small uh, community of people that the U.S. actually welcomes in uh, to our country to receive this program. Wow. Powerful. Now, uh, Juwad, I'd love to hear a little bit more about uh, sort of the work of a cultural advisor. Obviously, a big part of what World Relief is doing is, is welcoming individuals from other parts of the world here. And I I just, I feel like the experience of going to live in a new country on the other side of the world, especially when you're fleeing, you're not making the choice, you're needing to go. I I can't imagine how difficult and disorienting that would be. So I'd love to hear from you a little bit about what do you do as a cultural advisor, both to help the staff here in the United States at World Relief, but then also to help families that are, are coming here get acclimated to this environment. Uh, that that's a good question. So, uh, for for me, so my it's it was the beginning. It was very hard for me to balance my life uh, in U.S. And whenever you think so, you're gonna left all of your family back in your country, and you have no one here, and even a couple of friends and the friends who were uh, like the same me, they were immigrant, and they are. They have to work hardly, and they have not much time to support me. And so it's, it's for all families who are coming to the United States, it's the same happening. Hmm. And it's really a, a lot of pressure on them. And so this is my, my job is in office. How can I give them good tips and to relief office and kind of to advise the, my uh, coworkers to know more about the Afghan culture the Muslim people, they can support them more as much they can do in office. And so what I believe, so as much you know about some people, you can better serve them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so my job is kind of to working with all the entire office, uh, especially I'm, I'm a sign of my supervisor is the Joy Justice. So, right? Oh, boy. Sorry about yes. that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm in the outreach department, but I'm working in other departments too. So I'm kind of uh, working with the outreach very closely to matching a good neighbor team and a good neighbor uh, the, with the Afghan families who are new in the United States. We can match them, how they can support them for a kind of a short or not kind of period times, they can uh, balance their life. And I'm assessing with the department, the employment department. So we have another department to supporting the refugees who are new in the United States. We can find and assess them how they can find a job. And so I think the most part of my role in office, kind of the giving advice or kind of uh, uh, giving training yeah. to some people. So it's the same for the Afghan culture. And also it's, it's not only so I'm going to giving advice or giving a good information about the Afghan uh, culture to my team in my office, but the same I'm giving good uh, uh, tips and advice to Afghan people who are new in the United States. And I just kind of giving them, they avoiding some, some unnecessary steps. They can go forward very well in their life. One of the things I think that you bring most to the table is that you've walked through the process yourself. You have yeah. you have transplanted into another country, and so you can speak from pure experience. It's not a textbook. If I'm going to be in there and start to teach and everything, I can learn as much, but I haven't had the emotional attachment and the emotional pain and the fear that you would look them in the eye and say, I hear you and I understand you. I think that for anyone coming in, there's a soothing comfort to look in your eyes to go, he gets me, he understands me. Uh, Can you share a little bit of your story growing up in Afghanistan? In case you're not watching the live stream, 
Um, I'm going to say, Jawad does not look Afghani. I'm just, just going to point this out right now. If you look at the camera, you're like, wait a second. Jawad doesn't look Afghani. Um, but go back a little bit and help us with your story. Um, were you born in Afghanistan? And then how did your process go for why you decided to move, to immigrate? Can you share that? Uh, yeah. So I'd love to let you know. So I I. I experienced it to refugee as a refugee and immigrant. So oh, wow. when I was born in Afghanistan in 1989, uh, and that time, so my country was uh, with the civil war and my family, they had to uh, leave the Afghanistan. And they, we uh, just, uh, we flew to walk past the border to Iran country. Wow. And we stayed in Iran country almost 15 years. Wow. And so we had to uh, leave our country. And it was very hard for my, me and especially for my dad because so he, he didn't know about the, that country. And I think so for those uh, years we were staying in Iran. So I was in a school and I, the beginning, I, I, I didn't know. So I'm as a refugee here. I, I didn't know I'm Afghan. So I thought with, I was playing with other uh, kids and I thought I'm, we are the same. But they were pointing out, so you're Afghani and you're a refugee and you're not belongs to this country. Wow. And wow. it was very hard for me. And I was asking my parents, so what does it mean? So I'm refugee, I'm not belongs to this country. And why they divided two land? And what's, what, the, what does it mean Afghanistan? And they, they were explaining me, so we, we are just refugee and that's why we came from Afghanistan. And one day we have to leave here. Wow. And it was very hard for me because I I found a good friends I made a good friends I I was adjusted to those area, and so but I was feeling happy because because my family they were not really happy staying in Iran and we had to get back in Afghanistan, and I would love to thanks to uh, United States they uh, kicked out the Taliban and they uh, created a good. Uh, environment for the entire people who left their country and we get back 2002 in Afghanistan. The beginning, it was hard for us because yes. just it was the dust and it destroyed the entire cities. Oh. And we, you, you, can, you can imagine, so I came from Iran country. I grew up in that place. I saw a modern cities, a very good environment. Yes. But now I'm coming to my own country. Oh my God. There's yeah. no city here. There's wow. no power. There's no crazy. payment route. And there's no, uh, like, everything. So we had to difficult to find. And even the financial, we had the uh, difficulty with the financial to support our uh, family. And it was hard, but we made it. Wow. And we we work with the uh, fa- family, all as a family together to uh, build our house. And we made it. And so why I become to, as a linguist or translator with a, U.S. Uh, military, I would love to tell you the story why I joined the U.S. military. So maybe it's going to take two minutes. Yeah. Sure. So I was in high school. I hadn't any plan to work, uh, join the U.S. Army as a linguist to support them. So I, was, I had to plan to go to university, college, whatever I had my goal. And I, I had a good friend by the name of Ali. And we both uh, raised up in uh, Iran country. We both came back in Afghanistan. We were as a brother and we were in the same school, the same class. And we were really, really close, even closer than a brother. And one day, so as Ali, he had an appointment in downtown. And I'm, I'm talking about 2000, I believe 2008. Yes, 2008. So one day, so whenever we, we finished our school and the high school, a class and so we walk out of the class and he told me, "Hey, Joad, I'm going to downtown. I have an appointment to find another part-time job to support my dad." I says, "That sounds good to me." And he says, "Would you like to uh, come with me? And I like to you be with me." I says, "Well, so I love be with you, and but you know, so I have to go back home. So I I have to do something about my uh, f- um, father and mother. They need my help and." Today, I'm not really able to support you. He says, okay, that's fine. So I will meet you tomorrow in office and uh, at school. I said, okay, that's fine. So so because in 2008, we were walking miles and miles to home. So we I hadn't really a bike or bicycle or a car. So, And I was on the way, half of way to home. 
So uh, I, I suddenly I heard a big explosion in downtown, and I, I look at the sky. It was a big smoke in the in the sky. Oh, I was no. scared, and I just running faster to my home. And I whenever I reach to my home, and my mom says, "Are you okay?" I says, "Yes, I'm okay." And she said, "Okay, thanks God." And we stayed at home. And my father came back from home, and we all family stayed together. And we were looking at news, and we because we had not a, a electricity, and we hadn't a television. I just we were listening to radio, yeah. And the radio was announcing, so it was a suicide attack in downtown, and like over twenty five or something like that people have been killed, and over a hundred people have wounded. And I was, oh my god. And my my father he says. If you are not okay tomorrow, you are not gonna go to your school. I gonna call your uh, teacher. I says no, I am okay. So I gonna walk to my uh, school. I went the the day after tomorrow in the morning. I I went to a school back and the Ali who was sitting beside me and the Ali's chair it was empty. Oh my! I thought myself, oh my God, Ali, Ali, why are you not coming to a school? And you are lazy man. And <laughs> I thought it myself and asked the teacher, hey, so. Mr. Muhammad, where's Ali? Do you know about Ali? I says, no, he didn't call me. And says, okay, that's fine. And at 12 uh, p.m., the class was over and I was walking back to my home. I, I thought, okay, let's go uh, walk to Ali's house, make sure why he's not coming. Maybe he's sick. And I was walking closely to Ali's house. I, I saw his brothers and mothers and the sisters, they were crying. I said, oh my God, oh, no. what's happening? Why are they crying? And I just Went to inside house and I asked Ali's brother, "Hey Ali, hey uh, Hassan, where is Ali?" And he says, "I don't know." And just he left and crying loudly. And I, I was searching to my answer, "Where's Ali?" And the entire family they were crying. And finally, I reached out to another our friends, asked, "Where's Ali?" And he told me, "Ali has died yesterday, and he oh. was in suicide attack yesterday in downtown." Wow. It was very very hard for me, and I. I couldn't believe my brother, my close friend, he died. He was with me yesterday. And I walked back to my home and I, I, I was losting. I, I was losting myself. I was losting what can I do? And I uh, I, I, I stayed at home one week and I couldn't go back in the school. And after that, I, I, went, uh, I went back to a school and I couldn't really, really, I was in a school, I was in class, but my mind was somewhere else. Yes. And I couldn't learn. And I decided myself because we both were in English uh, class sometime, and we both I think we were fine, f- and we we could translate for some uh, people. And I I decided myself I have to do something, I I have to do avenge my my brothers and what, what the bad people they do they did the same my brothers maybe they're gonna do the same for another innocent people mm, and wow. I decided to uh, the best way I can support and I kind of the uh, getting the not gonna accident in future. So how can I support? I, I decided I can join U.S. military as a linguist to give them advice to translate for them and working as a sh- by shoulder by shoulder to support the uh, the U.S. troops how they can uh, support more the Afghan army and how they can protect the innocent people. And it was the beginning of my story working as a uh, linguist with the U.S. Army and. When I, I was I joined the U.S. military as a linguist 2009 until 2012, and I submitted my all application to uh, uh, the uh, U.S. Embassy. How can I, they can process my uh, uh, paperwork to get grant me visa? And it was the uh, my journey start to I the beginning. Believe me, I didn't know. I one day I will come to United States. And I didn't know so how they got give me a road and how they got me guide me to right path. And I, I, 2016, I find out myself and my wife we are in United States. Wow! Wow! What a great story. That's amazing. I am so sorry for your loss of your brother Ali. Thank you. That is horrible. Um, How wonderful that you um, took your pain and said, I don't want other people to hurt. So I'm going to see what I can do to help. Yes. That's beautiful. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Thank you. That is, that's, yeah, that's, there's an amazing, amazing, tragic story, but like Lance said that you're able to, to take that and use that for good and say, Hey, I want to use what I can do to be a part of making things better and making yes. sure this doesn't happen. That's, that's pretty amazing. Now, can you maybe 
talk a little bit about uh, the types of people that you're interacting with when they first come to the the United States. I don't know how else to ask this question other than to ask, how are they doing? How are they feeling? What is it like for them when they get on the ground here initially? Oh, you mean I can I share my own experience? Well, no, I mean or the experience the, of the, people that, like maybe people you've interacted with in the last month or several months oh, who they, come to the United okay. States. Other people. Yeah, yeah. Other, other people. people. So I think we, all the people, we had the same feeling and emotion like we we had. And the most people, they are really scared how they can come to another world. So yeah. so if you're going to compare Afghanistan or some other the uh, Asian country with the United States, it's really different. And everything's different. And they are really scared to how they can interact with the Christian people, how they can find a job, how they can continue their education, how, how even the, how they can find friends. They're yes. really scary and they don't know. So whenever they're going to come to the United States, and maybe some people, they were thinking, oh, my God, my my pain is done. I'm going to the best world. I'm going to best countries. The money's come from to me. It's not true, but as a few people. But the most people, they are really worried about their future. And they has really about think about what they're going to do. And they have to make a good decision. Yeah. And it's really hard for them. And especially whenever they're going to land in airport, and they're going to think, oh, my God, where should I go? How can I find my own way? And I'm going to see how can I talk with the people? Yeah. And and the good thing is I'm I going to say to my office, really, and the entire agencies, and especially my uh, office. So whenever the families, they're going to come to United States. So with the, our office uh, co-workers or the good neighbor team, they are going to welcome to United States. And I, I can remember when I, uh, me and my wife, we were uh, landing in the Sacramento airport and we, we both were thing, thinking, so, okay, so which door we have to go and yeah. how are we going to get a car or a taxi? And and I don't know, how can I go to the right place? And when we're uh, coming down from escalator and the family, it was two girls and one a man, they were hanging out my name and my wife's name. Welcome <laughs> to uh, United States. Wow. Jawad and Siddiqui. And they were, oh my God, they know us. They know <laughs> oh, us. Oh, that's and so whenever amazing. And kind of asking them, hey guys, so do you know us? It's, yes, <laughs> of course we know. And welcome to United States. And please let, uh, let us to help you and get your suitcase. And we're going to uh, walk you with you to your apartment or your hotel. And I was feeling, wow. oh my God. Thanks, oh, God. I'm feeling good. Yeah. And it's the same people, the same experience, the people they are having experience. But the, I think the the most important, whenever they're going to see the people welcome, and they're going to feel, oh, my God, I'm feeling my home. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. So, Joy, what, what Jawad was describing there was, was I'm assuming, kind of the good neighbor team yeah. sort of thing. Can you tell tell our listeners, uh, obviously, he just described in, in kind of real time, this is what it's like to experience a good neighbor team. Talk a little bit about them and, and, and what they do. And that's just, I know, a, a key area for yes. people to volunteer and just what they do. So, the good neighbor team is, I think, one of the best things we do. It's uh, it's where we see a lot of transformation take pay- place, as Jawad was saying, with the f- arriving families and with the volunteers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what it is, is it's a group of people, about five to ten people that come together. A lot of times it's from a local church. It's a small group that has maybe reached out to us saying, hey, you know, we know there's refugees in our community. How can we help? How, mm-hmm. What can we do? And so we equip the Good Neighbor team and uh, they... We match them with a the family before arrival. We don't know very much about the family before. We just have some paperwork on their names, ages of the kids, mom and dad. Uh, and so we match them before. And the good neighbor team collects items for their apartment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they set up their apartment. They make it into a home. And then they go to the airport, like Jawad was saying, and they are the first faces that greet the family when they come down that escalator, mm-hmm. uh, make those signs, like Jawad was saying, welcome yeah. to America. And then uh, they walk with this family through their adjustment and integration for their first six months in the United States. And World Relief is providing case management in kind of the technical areas of jobs mm-hmm. and health and getting them connected to English. Uh, but the Good Neighbor team is there to provide friendship, um, to meet with them regularly, 
to basically say, I see you. Yeah. I'm here with you. You're welcome in my community. Uh, and they build a bond, a friendship together. Yeah. And our hope is that after that six month period, they have a deep friendship that mm-hmm. they'll continue to spend time with each other um, over years. Yeah, that's so cool. Let, let me ask you a, a question. And it's turning a corner because when I when I hear all the stories that Jawad and it was talking about, is all I hear is trauma mm-hmm. and then coming to a scary place, mm-hmm. right? Because as much as we who live here, we're like, well, okay, well, you know, you shouldn't be harmed here. Mm-hmm. They don't know that. They're scared. It's all new. Everything is new. Uh, just the one line that he said, how are we going to get a car? Like, I don't even know how to leave the airport. Like, I, <laughs> like I'm here. Yeah. That's great. But I don't know where I'm going. Um, so I want everyone to kind of absorb that and have the compassion that's released by hearing those stories. Um, now, I do need to make a, an adjustment mm-hmm. here because there is resistance to refugees coming. Mm-hmm. And you guys have to deal with that on the front lines. And it tends to fall into two categories about where you kind of get where people maybe are not aware. There's some either some ignorance yeah. or some other issues that come in. But usually it falls into two categories. Mm-hmm. The first one is that why are we bringing refugees here? It's super expensive for why are we now housing them it's very costly to have them here right um and so i i was talking with someone close to me the other day and they said you know we have a border with people trying to immigrate constantly we have a, a full border issue where we're not picking them up and shipping them somewhere else so europe is shipping them over here like we got our own people coming over the border mm-hmm. So we're struggling. So it's it's costly. And, and you know what? This is also that avenue that dangerous people are going to come through, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you're constantly getting those questions because yeah. you would – I think that for people like Brian and I, we think immediately in the compassion way. We think mm-hmm. immediately in the trauma way. We think immediately – you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. hey, how can we hug people more, right? Um, but that's not how everybody responds to right. you. And so can you help educate a little? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you asked a couple different questions. Yeah. Uh, the first one is, why can't we help people overseas? Why can't we put our funding there? Okay. Let me address that one first. We're talking about two different contexts. So a lot of the funding that happens on the international, it's relief and aid. It's meant to keep people alive. It's immediate uh, care of water shelter that is meant to protect lives and and, uh, survival. Um, But it's not actually providing in a way for people to integrate, to belong, to actually restart their life. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so what ends up happening is a lot of that aid goes into situations where it's a refugee camp. Um, but people aren't getting processed through it enough. So they're they're staying long term and a, a lot of funding is going to basically kind of start a new city, which is expensive. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the current average stay in a refugee camp right now is 17 years. Holy cow. So it's meant to be a temporary thing. And this aid is meant to be temporary, but it ends up costing an exorbitant amount just to kind of sustain people's lives. Mm-hmm. But they're not actually able to rebuild. Mom and dad can't get jobs. Kids can't go to school. They can't get health care. They're essentially just in a, a holding, holding pattern. pattern. They're in a holding yeah. pattern. And, it's, and that's the reality for most displaced people is living in a state of limbo. Okay. So then to answer the other question about, uh, you're right, I, a lot of assumptions that, that people have that makes it difficult to be open to receive refugees is that they're costly and that they're unsafe. Right. Uh, and so the first one, um, the refugees, there is an initial investment that our country makes into the life of a refugee. It's short term. It's uh, the the funds, the benefits are uh, for an initial eight months. Usually most refugees get a job in the first six months. They're very determined. They're very entrepreneurial. They're, they want to provide for their families. Mm-hmm. So there is an initial investment, but uh, refugees end up 
paying more into federal taxes, into state taxes than that initial investment. And there was actually a study done by the um, Department of Health and Human Services. They were commissioned to do a study on the economic impact of refugee resettlement. They found that refugees resettled in the U.S. contributed an estimated $63 billion more in federal, state, and local taxes in the last decade than they received in public benefits. Uh, and so they, you know, they end up being contributors into our right. economy. Absolutely. Um, and then the other one is, uh, you know, are refugees dangerous? Yes. This is another fear and this is another assumption that people have that makes it difficult to want to receive people. Yeah. Well, um, post 9-11, right? Mm-hmm. There, there's... There even creates irrational fear. Yeah. There, yeah. It's, it's a fear. Um, and to... To uh, start that, you know, refugees undergo the most strenuous processing out of any immigrant. Uh, it oftentimes it's so strenuous. It's interviews, it's security screenings by multiple different agencies. It oftentimes takes multiple years, and then we end up inviting a very, very small percentage of people that we have uh, full confidence uh, that they are not going to pose a threat to Homeland Security. Mm-hmm. And in the recent years, because this became such a big debate in our country, the Cato Institute did a research study on uh, the danger of having refugees in our community. And they determined that the likeliness of a refugee turned terrorist taking the life of a U.S. citizen is one in 3.6 billion. That's the likeliness that we that a U.S. citizen will be harmed by a refugee. Not one life, American life on U.S. soil has ever been taken at the hand of a refugee. And in my experience, I find refugees are actually the ones that are the most uh, strongly opposed to forms of any extremism because they have been the victims of extremist religion or uh, fundamentalist ideologies. They have personally experienced the threat of that to their life and seen that erode their communities. And so they are often the ones that are the most against this form of extremism and, and wanting to resist that in our communities. Yeah. I've wondered this about a lot of different issues, but I think this is a, this is a, a certainly an example of, of the question I'm going to raise is, so I've heard those statistics before, the one in three billion statistic, just the, the simple reality that uh, refugees do not pose any sort of credible safety threat to, to citizens of the United States. That uh, and, and certainly the, I had not heard that specific number, but I knew that refugees and immigrants are a net boost to the economy and that that's all pretty cut and dry. Like you can't really argue with the numbers kind of data. Why doesn't that change minds? Why is it that you got, I mean, I, you know, I've sat in enough presentations with, with even with you, Joy, where you're having to present the same information over and over and over again, yeah. and yet you're having to answer these questions. You know, why, why isn't it work? I think know? that I'm not a scientist and I'm not a psychologist, but I think that that has a lot to tell us about this, that it's just the way our brains work. We, yeah. we, the ways that our brains process information is we make associations. And so yeah. when we're constantly hearing in the media and the news fear mm-hmm. about uh, immigrants and refugees, that is going to get locked into our brains. Uh, and and so when we hear the word refugee, immediately our brain's going to tell us threat, danger. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's something that we just have to be humble about, yeah. you know, that, that to recognize when those thoughts come up or when fear comes up, just to pause and to listen. And, you know, is this true? Is this true? And how, how can I kind of resist maybe that natural tendency to make that association, put them in that category? And then I think, you know, it's just the way we work. You need a human interaction. Right. You need to, to meet a Jawad and you need to meet other people like this to see like, oh, wow, these are actually people I want in my community. These are incredible people that mm-hmm. are resilient. You know, they um, they're going to bring so much richness into my community. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's just the human putting the face to it is really helpful. Yeah, well, that's true in so many different situations where all of a sudden this isn't this isn't an issue. This, yeah. is, this is, you know, like we can dehumanize one another. I think subtly, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say that everybody intends to do this or that yeah. certainly I, you know, I've been guilty of it myself is mm-hmm. you dehumanize people and just think in terms of issues and all of this. But then when you realize, okay, no, this is, we're talking about flesh and blood people here in this case, people who, I mean, I, it, I, I, if you haven't been through moving across the world, I don't know, how, how do you even understand that experience? Mm-hmm. You know, people who have been through things that, that are impossible for many of us to imagine, um, 
then I think it can shift our thinking about this where it's a little bit more personal. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think, you know, it's, it's really important that, uh, as you know, if we're, if we're saying that we're following in the way of Jesus, you know, Jesus is our teacher Mm -hmm. and that we're Christians, it's, we have to spend some time digging into the Bible Mm -hmm. to see how does God invite us into, to seeing people and what, what is, how do we view, you know, immigrants in our community? How do we mm-hmm. view the foreigner? Uh, and so I think seeing and hel- helping that kind of reframe the ways that, that we view immigrants and refugees is really critical. Mm-hmm. And there's, it's, the scripture is compelling. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot there. Uh, you know, I was a seminary student. I, um, was a student of the Bible for a long time, but I have to say it wasn't until I worked with refugees and asylees in an immigration detention center that, that the scripture really opened up. And I started seeing like, Oh wow, that's true. Jesus was a refugee. (laughs) And actually almost all of the major characters of the Bible experienced forced migration of some sort. Yeah. Um, and you know, the, um, the, the I think one of the most there's a lot of compelling things in the scripture. One of them is uh, the um, the word hospitality. Um, it's we're gonna go back to yeah. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> um, it's the the Greek word is philozenia. Yep. And philo, if you break it down, philo and xenia. Philo means love, and xenia means the uh, stranger, foreigner. And yeah. so the the word literally means the love of the stranger. Mm, yeah. And so I think there's something you know that that uh, God is inviting us into the to viewing the stranger to to. Uh, that that we're gonna we're gonna find God there. Yeah. We're gonna we have to get near to that to that stranger and and uh, uh, to develop that love t- uh, that we will actually meet God. Yeah. In in, the, in these people. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Again, once it, it humanizes it. I love that. I mean, even those two words, philo. Sadly, we hear Zena because xenophobic. Yeah. Is, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the the that is my first kind of where I go to when I hear that word, because mm-hmm. there's so much of that in the, in the world, but to, to see the centrality of this yeah hospitality, which mm-hmm. is yeah, literally welcoming the stranger, welcoming the person in who is different than you, who mm-hmm. maybe doesn't have a place to go to help see that that is so fundamental to, to our faith and to a Christian ethic, mm-hmm. I think really has the power to form the way we think about this stuff. So I've, I've interacted with a lot of Christians, uh, self described Christians that struggle with immigration, refugee, all those same things, whether it's cost or it's uh, fear or whatever it is. But what's interesting is I don't, I've never interacted with a Christian who looks someone in the eye and had anything other than compassion. Like it only works that kind of fear and resistance and everything only works if you don't see anybody. Yep. If, you, if it's just a, a, a stat on a page, like, how can yep. you look at Jawad? Come on now. <laughs> how can you look at Jawad? This guy. Yeah. This guy. Come on. But uh, you know what I'm saying is yeah. I, that's where I would say, all right, now I'm going to check out your Christianity. Because if you're walking with this guy right here and he says, I'm afraid. If he says, my wife is in need. If he says, and you as a Christian do not respond favorably to this man looking you in the eye, come on. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I, I I feel like the only reason a lot of us still wrestle is we don't know anyone. Mm-hmm. Yep. We don't know anyone personally that our heart has connected with. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Once again, it's, you know, and what's kind of sad is that, so for Jawad growing up, he's growing up in Iran. Has a buddy named Ali that, you know, there's a million reasons on paper why they shouldn't be hanging out, but they were best friends. Why? Because they didn't spend all that time looking at the paper. They just looked at each other and said, you're my friend. I'm your friend. Mm -hmm. Like that type of human interaction. So when you can't have, and this is just for listeners and viewers, if you can't have that personal interaction, which I think world relief would say you always can (laughs) come join us. Right. (laughs) So we'll do a little recruitment video there. But yeah. if you can't, you need to get into the mind space of saying, if I was, that's how I always must treat people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It can never just be numbers on a paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I'd be curious to hear, Jawad, a little bit from you. Um, obviously, World Relief, you all do a lot of work with with local churches. You're you're looking to empower and mobilize churches. Obviously, I mean that. I, I well, I have to assume there are great opportunities that come with that and, and great challenges as well. How, what are some s- kind of maybe some successes and some challenges you've seen working with churches here in the Sacramento region? Uh, thank you for asking. So I think I didn't see any a big challenge to with the working with a church, but I what I'm seeing all the beautiful uh, from the people and I love to connect with the church. And so because the most challenge, I think it's not really a challenge, but I, if I'm going to name the challenge, so the people, the both side, the Muslim people and the Christian people, the both party, they are scared from each other. Yes. Hmm. Because what they saw, what they heard from the media. Yes. Yeah. Whenever they're going to hang out together, whenever they're going to digging more from each other, I believe the both, they will love each other. Yes. Yeah. And so, and the, maybe, so the same question from my uh, community and they always care if we're going to walk to church we be, we convert to Christian this is not true and the Christian if they're gonna walk, they are scared if they're going to walk to uh, mosque how they're going to react and they are scared why we are walking to mosque because they're thinking oh maybe we're going to do something wrong maybe we're going to convert to Muslim and faith but it's not really true and so the thing is we we both uh, community living together as a neighbor yeah. we need to know each other. We need to hang out more with each other. And I can tell you another story. So there was a family, He they moved from Afghanistan, I, I believe five months ago, and they they have five kids. And wow. they were to live, they, they, they emplaced it in an apartment. And that apartment uh, has a, like more than 10 more, 10, 12 uh, Afghan families there before. And they were there for a, a week. And believe me, no one knock, knocks their doors as a welcome to this apartment because they had another Afghan family, the same complex, and they told me, nobody can knock my doors. And who who going to knock their doors the first uh, person? It was Christians. Mm-hmm. And when we were uh, matching at Christian people, and they knocked their doors, and they were so, so excited. And you can see a good things in their eyes, and they were dying, oh my God, they come to my house, they are my guests. <laughs> and now from that moment to, to now, they are a good friends, the family. Mm-hmm. And they are going to park, they, they are hosting each other and they love each other. Mm-hmm. And so because they they saw the Christian people, how much they are kind, how much they are a, a, a good things. And they are, we, I, I can say the Christian people like a gift from God. From God. And the, the Muslim people, they are, start to knowing the Christian people mm-hmm. because it's, it's not their fault because they never been interacting with the Christian people before, but now they are seeing a lot, a lot with the people. Mm-hmm. And the, the same, the Christian people, they are hanging out with the Muslim people. Oh my God, they are a good people. They are not yes. really bad people. Right. And you can see if you're walk to market or mall, any place you can see a Muslim people with hijab, Christian people, and they all walking together and they are Nobody gonna guess, scare each other, and like I can always, I can imagine my mind. So if you're gonna think about the garden, a beautiful, a beautiful flowers with the one color, it's not gonna call a, a garden. Whenever <laughs> you have a different colors, oh my God, this garden is so beautiful because they have different colors. And now I can see in this community, with the Christian, with the Muslim people, and different religion. We call a, a a a nation. We call a society, and that, not, that's why the beautiful. Uh, we call it a beauty. Yeah. The diversity creates mm, the beauty. Exactly. It's so simple and yet so profound. I, what strikes me, and, and this is, I, I think, what maybe a lot of people wouldn't wouldn't necessarily expect, is that yes, you have segments of the the Christian population where there is some some fear of of Muslims and there's certainly, you know, Islamophobia and all of that. And and that's really unfortunate that you hear a lot of that that rhetoric from some loud voices. Now I don't think that's the experience or the the mentality of most people, mm-hmm. but sadly if you're paying attention to the wrong wrong people, that that sort of mentality can can seep in. But what I I mean it's so interesting to hear that it works the other way too. 
that that Muslims are showing up here in the United States and they're afraid of Christians, <laughs> probably because they're here in the same way that a, that a Christian could hear the most extreme Muslim voices and think, oh, man, all these Muslims are this and that and the other thing that that perhaps a, a Muslim coming to the United States would hear some of the most extreme, uh, you know, quote unquote, Christian <laughs> voices saying these awful things about Muslims and, and come to the conclusion that, oh, well all Christians hate us and, and this and that. And even, you know, Lance, you've had experiences where people have shared stories with you of how, how Muslims have that fear of, mm-hmm. of Christians as well. And it's just, again, so simple that just being together, sharing, you know, we're not so different in terms of just our basic humanity. I mean, you guys must just see stories like that all the time of, of these stereotypes being broken down. And, yeah, and it's really beautiful. It's, it's We're pretty lucky because we get to see that mutual transformation take place place a lot yeah and you're right it's, it's simple it's just those like the the simple engagement of friendship and um spending time together yeah uh, yeah as we begin to wrap up sort of on that note mm-hmm. I, i'd love to hear just briefly from from each of you joy we'll start with you and then then jawad what, what to you is the most rewarding part of what of what you do day in and day out with world relief or what's something that's very rewarding i realize most is like that puts a lot of pressure on the question but yeah, I think uh, it's what Jawad's talking about, just the goodness of two groups of people or two individuals that that started maybe with fear um, or nervousness about it, uh, meeting someone from a different religion or a different culture, and then kind of slowly seeing that melt away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when we match a volunteer with a family and then you check in with them a month later and they're just elated yeah. and they just, they, they their life is opening up and their life is being transformed through this friendship on both sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, we know, we always know that's going to happen. <laughs> uh, but then every time kind of hearing it, it just invigorates us. It gives us the energy to keep doing this. This is important work. This is worthy work. Uh, and so, yeah, I, it's, it's very rewarding. Awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. Jawad, how about you? What, what do you find rewarding? Uh, I love to help the people. So I, I experience it whenever I supporting or helping the, some other people, even unknown people. So it give me a good feeling and good emotion from my inside. Mm-hmm. And my faith says, uh, whenever you're going to support the other people, uh, so it's going to like the same you're watching the God. And mm-hmm. so I believe so as much we can support the other people. So it's the same equal, I believe. So watching the God. And this is a great, great a gift from God to me. I can every day serve the people. Every day I can worship more to God. Awesome. So good. Very cool. Okay, this is really my last question. Is <laughs> I just want to know, like as you as you look to the future. What do you, I mean, what are you excited about in terms of what World Relief is doing? I have to imagine what you're doing is, it's like it's the same, but it's constantly changing. Yeah. Uh, same mission, but different ways of living it out. What are you excited about? You know, and we, we have a, we're facing a lot of challenges in the, we're not receiving as many refugees, but there's still a lot of refugees in our community. And as a nonprofit in social work, we're kind of a scrappy people. <laughs> <laughs> And we're creative and we're innovative and we're always kind of looking for that new place um, to where the, the fruit is bearing. And so one thing I'm really excited about is some uh, programs that we're developing that is supporting the current community that are specifically focused on women. Mm. And we're finding that women... Uh, uh, they're having a difficult time accessing services. They're feeling isolated. Um, they don't feel like they belong here. And so we're we're starting some new programs on a small scale um, in an apartment complex. It's bringing women together to support them in oral ling- language learning and uh, cr- activities that they can come together to create social bonds. And it's really exciting. Um, it's really beautiful to see them kind of open up and build confidence and to grow. Uh, and so, yeah, that's the thing I'm the most stoked about right now. Wow. That's, that is super cool. How about you, Jawad? What are you excited about? Uh, so yeah, Joy pointed out this uh, good things. Uh, so I would like to add a few, a little F points. So we have these a uh, good programs and especially the, the, uh, ESL English for the mother, for the woman, and I. We had some women. They have been in uh, ESL class for many years, like two, three years, and they didn't learn a lot. And we, whenever we open this opportunity for these uh, women, and this is specific for women, 
and they love to learn every day. Mm. And I can see, I give you a good example. Like a woman, she was pregnant. She's my neighbor. She was pregnant. And when she gave birth to her uh, daughter, after 10 days, she attended to class. And wow. Wow. how much <laughs> they love this class. And yeah. their husband, whenever they're going to see me outside of the complex, I said, hey, Joa, thank you for your good work. Thank you for your office. You are doing amazing job. And our wives, they are doing amazing. And because right now they are able to start a little uh, talk about English and they start to support our kids in the school. That's the great things I love. That's beautiful. I mean, it's life-changing, life right? I mean, it's got to be. That, 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 is, that is not an overstatement. I mean, that you learn the language, you get acclimated in that way. Yeah. It's like, okay, you can start to live here. Empower now. a woman, you empower the whole community. Yes. Amen. That's true. Amen. 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 Good stuff. Well, uh, Joy and Jawad, thank you so much for uh, the conversation today. This was really, really, really cool. We appreciate you guys being with us. And more than that, we appreciate just the incredible work that World Relief does. We're, we're big fans of World Relief here at Bridgeway. If uh, you want to learn more about World Relief Sacramento and how you can get involved, their website is worldreliefsacramento.org. And also, if you're listening to this and you're in the area in the next couple of days, they will be in the lobby here at Bridgeway, September 14th and 15th of 2018. So I know they would love it if you would stop by the table and see him. Uh, thanks again to our guests. Thanks you, Lance, for your time today. Thank you for our audio engineer, Lucian Hughes, and our video director, Brennan Stewart. Great job as always, gentlemen. Thanks to you for listening. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes, and we'll see you next time on the Engaging Culture Podcast. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Engaging Culture, a podcast by Bridgeway Christian Church. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening. Music is used under the Creative Commons license and is provided by Dexter Britton.